actions and attitudes. Philippians 2, and we're going to look at verse 5 to 11. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, action and attitudes. And we, we've all had an example uh, that we look to towards when we're growing up, like whether it was good influences or bad influences. At a young age, most of us decide who is going to be our example, you know, that we can follow and emulate. Like I used to love Metallica. I used to love Metallica at a young age, about 15 years old. So I learned to play guitar just so I could play Metallica songs. And I remember when I played my first Metallica song, I'm like, it sounds just like it. I was so excited because I looked up to those guys, right? And so I was playing this, this song, which um, later I found out was about suicide, so that was kind of sobering. But I was just excited. <laughs> I know it's great. But I was just excited to play. I was like, I want to be Metallica. Uh, but then a few years later, I started listening to punk rock. So I listened to that music. I bought the clothes. Uh, I looked up to some not-so-good influences. Um, but kids want an example to follow and someone who they can try to be like. And growing up, did you ever just watch a movie and afterwards you just, you wanted to be the main character? Whether it was a, a firefighter, a, a princess, a policeman, whatever it is, you wanted to be that person. You were inspired and you finally, you w knew what you wanted to do in life at 10 years old. And then you watched the next movie and you wanted to be something else, you know? They just inspire you. I came home the other day and my six-year-old daughter, Hannah, she was so excited to show me her new jeans. And uh, they were jeans that were distressed, which means that they, they had scuff marks on them, you know, which, like the ones I have, and, and it's just like a style thing. But, uh, and Hannah excitedly said, look, Daddy, I have jeans just like you now, you know? And, uh, and, and also six months ago, she bought these white tennis shoes, that, that, the ones that I kind of like to wear. And, uh, and it was cute, but the, the point is she, she was just like, look, I have shoes just like you. She wants to be just like me. I'm like, oh, man. But it was cute, but the point is we're all influenced by someone else and or we influence others. And I think people are looking for an example to follow. And so for the Christian, our example is Christ. Like, I'll, I'll never forget when a teacher I had in college uh, who was not a Christian, she made a bold statement about Jesus. She was an unbeliever. She said, the world would be such a better place if we just read the words of Jesus and emulated him. And I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. That was so many years ago, but it always stuck with me. It was shocking that the secular teacher knew that if we live like Jesus, we'd be way better off in this world. Even some unbelievers know some of the words and the actions that Jesus said and did, and they understand that he was a great example. Our kids need some good example these days, don't you think? They need some good examples. There's enough bad examples in the world. But Jesus wasn't just an a good example, as we're going to see. He was much more than that. And many regard the scripture we're going to look at today as like a hymn that the that the early church used to sing, but Paul's really incorporating this hymn in the letters to the Philippians. The content is powerful. Paul had just exhorted these guys in unity through humility, and now he uses Jesus as an example of humility. So Jesus is our example when it comes to the actions and attitudes we are to have. One of the books I love and I read over and over again, I actually uh, taught it in seminary a couple years in a row because I love it, it's called Jesus Style. And it's by Pastor Gail Irwin. Pastor Gail, he's going to be here at Calvary Chapel Mobile um, on December 15th. But he wrote this book, Jesus Style. And it has been translated into like 30 different languages. I, I took a trip to Nicaragua to do like a men's, a men's outreach. And they had the, his book in Spanish. I was like, I know this book. But, uh, but it's awesome because the book is really all about Jesus. His actions, his attitudes, his words. And I love one section of this book where he states how Jesus was, like according to the scripture. 
And I'm just going to like sort of give you like a couple, a few, actually a lot of bullet points of the way Jesus lived from this book, which is directly from the Gospels. And it's a lot. So if I wouldn't recommend writing it down, just come to me afterwards because I'm going to go fast. But um, here's just, uh, just kind of how Jesus was, the actions that he took. So Jesus took time to be alone with God. Jesus was tempted without sinning. Jesus didn't worry. Jesus was responsive to the needs of others. Jesus associated with people lower than himself. Jesus treated all people as equals. He served humbly. He helped the ill and the needy. He taught the truth in a way that others can understand. He told people the truth they need to know. He obeyed the laws. He paid taxes. He was willing to confront evil and hypocrisy in love, even when it made him unpopular. He laid down his life for the kingdom of God. He suffered for doing God's will when it was unavoidable. Jesus had faith that something better awaits us as a reward. And just this list alone is a, such a picture of the heart of Jesus, which is the heart of God. And in this section of scripture we're going to look at this morning, we're going to see specifically the humility of, of Jesus. He remained humble because that is the example we are to follow. So let's pray and then we'll get into verses 5 through 11. Well, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you, Lord, so much for this morning. We thank you for the time of worship to respond to you. Now we pray that we'd respond to you by just hearing your word, that it would sink into our hearts, Lord, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but that it would be heart action, that we'd be, hear these words and go out and implement them and, and emulate them in our lives, Lord. We thank you for this morning. Just speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first point is our focus, which is verse 5, Philippians chapter 2. Our focus. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So Paul does an amazing job telling us what, we're, what he's going to be writing about. He's going to be writing about the mind of Christ. That's the thing. Meaning this is the heart of our Lord Jesus, and it is not something just to be amazed by. You know, it was something to emulate. And that's the thing. We have a choice to emulate Jesus and seek to integrate and implement his characteristics in our lives, right? We're never going to be sinless on this earth. You know, and that's the, some, some uh, groups teach that, like, you, you should be sinless now. You should be perfect. And usually if someone says that, if they're married, say, well, let me ask your wife. <laughs> you know? But I'm just saying, we're not to that point, like, that is not possible. But we will be growing, though, and going towards the Lord until the day these bodies wear out. And the question is, are we being conformed into his image and being transformed by the renewing of his mind, like Romans says? And also, our minds are given to us to be used for the Lord. We don't follow the Lord absent-mindedly, in other words. You know, we, we follow the Lord intentionally and, and purposefully. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says that we have the mind of Christ. Are we choosing to have the mind of Christ, which means to have an attitude and demeanor that Jesus exemplifies in these verses we're looking at? Because God can't work with disobedience, do you know what I mean? Or with people who are unwilling to allow him to work. We're not called to fight against God, we're called to follow God. And obedience, that's the key to walking in God's will, obedience. If we choose to be a Jacob and wrestle with God, with what God wants for us, we're going to be in, not be in a good place like at all. That's the thing. Jacob fought all night with the angel of the Lord. Remember that? And guess what? Jacob did not win. <laughs> Imagine that. He did not win against the Lord. He lost, and he had a permanent limp, remember, because of, he thought he could win against God. He lost. He had a repercussion that would remind him throughout the rest of his life that God wins. God's will wins. That's what we want to follow. Not because God's stringent. He's like, I want you to do what I want you to do, you know? But it's because he wants the best for us. And the best for us is his will. 
even if it's not easy all along the way. So God's will should win in our lives, all because he thought, Jacob got messed up because he thought his will was better than God's, and that's never the case, right? One pastor said that we are to bear a resemblance to Jesus in our actions and attitudes. And so in Romans 8, 9, Paul says we are to be led by the Spirit of God, let it dwell within us, let him dwell within us, and we are to have a Spirit of Christ. Our focus is to look to Jesus and emulate him. And the title Christian, the title Christian is very telling. The title Christian was like a derogatory term. It was kind of like a cuss word back in the day in the first century. Um, Unbelievers would call believers Christians to kind of mock them and put them down. It was supposed to be an insult, but guess what? It stuck. Christians are like, I like that. (laughs) Like, yeah, we're Christians, you know? The word Christian is uh, stated three times in the book of Acts. But believers in the early church adopted the term and they owned it. Because the word Christian, the definition is little Christ's. Little Christs, which the name reminds us that, we're, that we are living for Jesus and we are praying and seeking to be like Jesus. And there are these like, there's these little bracelets. Do you guys remember them? They're, they're WWJD. What, what did that, what did that, uh, what would Jesus do? Yeah, can you hand those out? So I ordered some for you guys. <laughs> yeah, do you remember those? Man, those were, those were, back in the day, those were like cool. Those are like, yeah. And so um, Amazon had some, so I ordered some for everyone. But um, what would Jesus do? I expect you guys to be wearing these next week. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but that's the thing. It stands for what would Jesus do? And these were created actually by a youth leader from Holland, Michigan in 1989. She was reading a book, and this one phrase just stood out to her. She's like, what would Jesus do? And she's like, that's what I want to ask myself like every day. What would Jesus do in this situation? Because you guys know how it is. You're in certain situations, you're like, I have no clue what I'm supposed to do. Like, I don't know what decision to make. I don't know which way to go. I don't know what answer to give. But that's a good question to ask ourselves. What would Jesus do? And these, these bracelets became super popular among Christians. And this should be our focus, the question that we ask ourselves daily when it comes to Jesus' actions and his attitudes. He was humble. He was lowly. He, he never sought for the spotlight to be on him, but he directed people's attention to the Father and to the spiritual aspect of life. And you guys can exchange colors with each other if you want. Um, it's, not, it's not a bad prayer to say, Lord, give me the strength and wisdom to be like Jesus, to grow towards him in my action and my attitude. And Jesus tells his followers in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says, learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. How do we know the heart of God? Look to Jesus in and through the Gospels. And Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, remember, to satisfy God's justice and pay the price through redemption. Jesus also did this as an example for us that we would follow his steps. Our focus should not be to be like someone else. You know, like what was that Michael Jordan thing, that want to be like Mike? Was that what it was? Yeah, want to be like, everyone wanted to be Michael Jordan, right? Back in the day, they had posters, they had everything, they wanted to play like him and dunk like him and all that, stick out their tongue, that whole thing. But our focus should not be to be like someone else. Our focus should be to integrate the Lord's actions into our lives. Like our our goal should be to focus on Jesus and seek to be like him in his actions, like his, according to his actions and and, uh, attitude. So we see our focus, number one. Number two, we see divine nature. In verse six, it says, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So divine nature is a second point. So in verse 6, we see Christ's divine nature. Jesus was in the form of God, it says. This tells us that Jesus didn't start to exist when he was born in Bethlehem, right? It speaks of his pre-incarnate existence. 
And what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus has always been, and we see that Jesus has always existed, even as we look at the beginning of time in Genesis. The word for God is Elohim in the first couple verses, which is plural, and that's a whole different sermon. But we see Jesus all throughout the word of God, not just in the New Testament. And the word form means that Jesus had the exact same nature as God, you know, meaning Jesus was God in the flesh. And it references uh, John 10, 30. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the, weak, uh, the Greek, not the weak, the Greek word for form is morph. Morph. Reminds me of Morpheus. Remember Matrix? Morph. Morph means that it never alters. You know, one commentator said, God has a form and Jesus Christ exists in this form of God. And so form in the Greek language didn't mean the shape of something, like we think. Form meant an essence, like an essence. So the Greek word for form means the outward expression which a person gives of his inmost nature. It's like people will know what is in your heart by your actions and by your words. And notice this, Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal to God. It wasn't that Jesus was trying to be equal to the Father. Jesus' divine nature wasn't something he had to cling to. It was something that he already had, God in the flesh. If you read through the Gospel, the Gospel of John especially, you see deity statement over and over again. Second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. One pastor said this, Jesus was willing to let go of some of his prerogatives of deity to become a man. So we see our focus, number one, we see divine nature, number two, and number three, we see no reputation in verse seven. In verse 7, it says, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men. No reputation. So we saw Jesus' divine nature in the previous verse. And in this verse, this is crazy, but we see his human nature. He was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus, by his own consent, assumed human nature. Jesus emptied himself, meaning, as one commentator said, he divested himself of the honors and glories of heaven. Jesus clothed himself in the rags of human nature. Hebrews 2.17 says of Jesus, he was made in all things like us. It's crazy and amazing at the same time. So we know that Jesus was tested, he was tempted at all points, yet without sin. Jesus had emotions. He worked hard. He went through, he felt sorrow and pain. He wept over the people's unbelief. He felt grief, he felt heartache. He was severely tempted in the desert, remember, by the devil himself, 40 days. Three temptations that we know about that are recorded, probably more, though. He suffered, he struggled, yet he didn't sin. But we, are, we will sin, so what's the point? What's the point of even trying to be, like, perfect and trying to follow his ways? We're just failures. You're like, what's the point? I'm glad you asked. Let me just tell you, we, we, will, never, <laughs> we will never be perfect this side of heaven, but he is our example, and by his strength, he can actually refine us, grow us, and fervent in the faith that we would have, um, hearts like his. And I remember at a beach camp, we're from the West Coast, we're here a couple years, two and a half years so far, and I did this beach camp with this surfer dude, and uh, he asked me one day, you know, um, he asked me, how do you resist temptation? Like when it comes to like, you know, lust and stuff like that. He's like, how do you even do that? Like, he's like, I went to camp when I was younger, we signed a form that said, I will be pure. Like, but how do you, that's not reality, right? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's impossible without the Lord, without his strength, without the Holy Spirit giving us the strength to resist those things. You know? But we will never be perfect this side of heaven. But, but notice something about Jesus. He's God in the flesh, and yet his humanness felt all that we feel. 
And this means, as the Bible says, that he can sympathize and even empathize with what we face. And this clearly shows that, that we don't have a faraway God, a cold, impersonal God that we serve that hangs out when we feel like hanging out with him. Like he's very near to the brokenhearted. He's with us, always. He's close and he gets it. Don't you like that? I love that. I love that he gets it. He understands. Because there are times we think, no one gets me. No one understands. You ever feel like that? I mean, we're humans, right? We have. No one gets what I'm going through. No one understands what I'm facing. No one understands how it is at my job or with this family member or with this coworker. No one understands. I'm going through so much. No one gets it. Gets it you know? But the statement is not true. And it's not true because Jesus knows what you're going through. The Lord knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're struggling with, what you have conflict about. And the closer we get to God, the more we realize he understands us, that he gets our pain. No one else might ever get our pain or understand. We might have things in our heart that we're struggling with so deeply, and no one, we can explain it all day long to 20 different people. None of them be like, I don't get it. Just suck it up and move forward. Who cares? But God gets it. He understands. And he can help us and minister us. He doesn't just like, oh, I get what you're saying. Have a good day. Like, he understands, and he actually wants to help and reach out and work in your life circumstances. That's why we don't have a faraway God. He is, draws near to us. He is near. He was at all points tested, just like us. It's amazing. So we say our focus, number one, number two, divine nature, number three, uh, three, reputation. Number four, he humbled himself. In verse eight, it says, in being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. Our Savior actually took on the form of a servant. Like some think that if the Lord Jesus was walking on this earth, he should be a king, he should be like a prince or someone of high stature, we should lift him up. Where is his throne? Like he needs, he needs like an earthly throne. Why did he come as a servant? Jesus was born in a dirty, lowly manger in a small town called Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth, which is not a prominent town. The town actually had a bad reputation where one of his disciples, Nathaniel, Nathaniel's like, dude, how can anything good come out of Nazareth? Doesn't make sense. Philip responded, well, come and see. Philip was the evangelist. But there was no room for him at the inn, remember? Yet Jesus still showed up because the world was dark and in need of light. Jesus came to this earth lowly and in humility. And it's thought that Jesus worked with his father in his trade of carpentry before he began his three-and-a-half-year ministry. His whole life, life was made up of humiliation and, and poverty. If you read the scriptures, you see that Jesus had nowhere to lay his head, remember? He lived off of alms. He didn't have any money. He was acquainted with grief. He had no mark that outwardly demonstrated he was the king and the savior. He didn't have a crown, right? They mocked him and put a crown of thorns on his head before he was crucified. But his eyes weren't perpetually shining, and he didn't have a translucent king, kingly robe or anything. Uh, Isaiah 53, too, tells us that Jesus had no beauty that we would desire him. He didn't look like a king or a prince. He looked like a person. Here's where a lot of people go wrong. Like They, they put too much stock in, in other people or another authority. But the thing is, they place all their hope in a person rather than in God of heaven. And when you do that, when you place all your expectations on a person, guess what? They are going to fail you no matter what because they're not perfect. Neither are you, neither am I. If someone puts all their expectations in me, guess what? I'm going to fail them because we are flawed individuals. But we are flawed individuals that God fills with faith and then uses mightily. We cannot heap expectations on people and be like, you need to be like this. It's kind of like when I do premarital counseling. I'm always like, okay, one of the first questions I ask, I say, if neither of you changed at all from this point forward, at all, didn't change one bit, would you still marry one another? 
Do you know what I mean? And I ask that because a lot of the times people are like, I'm going to marry this person, and, and oh, I love how they are, but I'm going to change them, this, this, and this. I have a little list. You know what I mean? I'm going to change just a few things about them, right? But it's like you can't heap expectations on people because they will fail you. But you can't expect God to do great things because he's perfect, and he knows what he's doing. But I love Jesus. He, he demonstrated uh, servant leadership. He led not by force. He led by love. He didn't force people to follow him. He, did, he invited people to follow him. Jesus didn't say, leave your family right now and follow me now or else, right? But he just said, follow me. And he gave them the choice whether they wanted to or not. There were times that Jesus had to confront the religious leaders and people in sin. But even then, he acted with humility, with holy anger, not with spiritual pride. Like, if we're attempting to lead without a heart of service, we're going to lead people astray. When a person leads from pride, then there's no room for God to lead. But really, when a person leads from a place of, I know it all, then they will be leading others in the wrong direction, because they'll be following their own way rather than God's way. Because there's a leadership that emphasizes dictatorship, and we do not want that. We don't follow a dictator. God is not like that. When a person leads from the place of, I'm following the Lord, and I'm serving people, then that's the true heart of humility. Jesus humbled himself. The Bible never says, God humbled believers. If you know this, if you do a word study, it never says, God humbled them with fire. You know, he doesn't say, the Bible always talks about us humbling ourselves. So it's a good thing to examine our own hearts to see where we're at with the Lord. Lord, where do I need to change? What do I need to take out? What do I need to put in? What, what, where can I grow and be refined? What's in my heart that is not of you, Lord? It's like we recognize it. Okay, that's not of God. And then we release it. We're like, okay, God, take that. I don't, I don't want that back. That's not of you. But we humble ourselves when we recognize that we're not being humble. You know, you ever notice it's kind of like you kind of get puffed up and you start to think you deserve all these things. And I'm like, I deserve better than this. I deserve this and that. And we start focusing so much on ourselves that humility kind of leaves the room. <laughs> it's like, and pride enters. We got to let go of pride. Pride comes before the fall. So here's the thing. So we see our focus. We see divine nature. We see no reputation. We see he humbled himself. Number five, we see he's highly exalted in verse nine. It says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So Jesus not only suffered, he voluntarily went to the cross. He was obedient. And in John 10, 18, we know that Jesus had the power to lay down his life and to take it up again. Remember in the garden, like with one word, he can lay out all the soldiers and all his enemies would be down. But he didn't do that. He humbled himself to the point of death because he had you in mind. And, and that's kind of mind-blowing. <laughs> you know, although he laid down his life in obedience, the result was he was exalted. In the Christian life, the way up is down. Like because Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. And the word exalted here means to raise to an exceeding height. And I love that. We don't seek for a position or a title or a kind of prominence. This is what the Pharisees were known for, the religious leaders. They sought to be seen, you know. Not so they could spread the word of God and be like, God loves you. They didn't, they, they weren't, uh, they didn't want to be seen to share the truth. They sought to be seen so they could be seen as the leaders. They're the main leaders. They were the spiritual ones. They were outwardly spiritual, but inwardly, they were spiritually bankrupt. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 27 and 28. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! Exclamation point. He says, You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, 
but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So we are not to be into self-exaltation like the religious leaders. The flesh, the carnality that sometimes makes its way into our lives and comes out of our lives through the actions is self-exaltation, right? But as believers, we're not to make much of ourselves. Instead, we make much of God. We point people to Him. And as we looked at last week, we're to, or a couple weeks ago, we're to magnify the Lord. See, when we deny self and make much of the Lord, we will be out of the limelight, and instead, the light will be illuminated upon God. You just take others' hands and put them in God's hands and be like, follow Him. <laughs> point people to Him. Reflect Him. And then number seven, we see his name. In verse 10, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and those in heaven, and those on earth, and of those under the earth. So we see his name. So Jesus was exalted in honor. He had the same, or he had the name above every name. Jesus has the title of dignity above everyone and everything on this earth. Hebrews is all about how Jesus is better, better than the angels. Like he was exalted in power. It says every knee must bow to him. The whole creation must be subject to Jesus. Every knee should bow means everyone will pay homage to Jesus. Even those who wanted nothing to do with Jesus on this earth, like when they die, they will have to honor and bow down to Jesus. It's pretty crazy to think about. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the extent of God's kingdom is it reaches from heaven to earth. It's all his, in other words. John 5, and 23 says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So his name. And number seven, I only have 20 more points to go. No, I'm kidding. This is the last point. Number seven, everyone confess. In verse 11, it says, 7 or 11, it says, And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So everyone confess. So in eternity, everyone will have to recognize Jesus. Like here on earth, not so much because God's given people free will. We can do whatever we want. We're not like robots. We're like, yes, Lord. You know, we're not, we're just, we're have free will. The ability to take a step forward in the faith or to walk away from the faith, we have that ability. To set the record straight, we must recognize that it is not a burden to confess Jesus as Lord. It's a blessing because it leads to salvation and every spiritual blessing. I mean, that's amazing. But God's heart, just concluding, God's heart is that no one would perish, and meaning no one would reject Jesus. That's his heart. And uh, so he wants every tongue to confess. He wants everyone to come to him. At the same time, we have a choice, right? But we want people to confess that Jesus is Lord here on this earth so they don't have to confess that Jesus is Lord when they die and are separated from the Lord. Like We, we, we want to have a heart for the lost like Jesus had a heart. It goes back to the fact that if we know Jesus, we share him. But we see the heart of Jesus, and, and let's remember, he's our example. Like, he's the one that we follow. And, and just leaving you with this. Don't forget to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? <laughs> what would he do in this situation? Like, I have an example. Right? I, I have, like, an opportunity right now. This person's asking about church. I can either run away and be like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, or I can share with him and be like, who is God? Like, what is God to you? Like, why do you go to church? Like, what an awesome opportunity to be able to share the love of the Lord with someone who doesn't know his love, who is lost, who is helpless, who is sinking, who feels discouraged, who's putting on a facade but is crumbling inside. Like, we get that opportunity to share the love of God with people. 
And not expecting people to be perfect, but knowing God is perfect and living to learn from him and follow him all the days of our lives. Amen?